Samuel, and uh, it's exciting to be able to study together, and uh, I would encourage you to think about making your comments fairly brief. There's a lot of people, and uh, a lot of people have probably got some uh, helpful things to share, so we don't want, if you're somebody who likes to talk a lot, then maybe it'd be better if you didn't talk so much in this study. If you're somebody who never talks, maybe this would be a good opportunity. Let's spread the commenting around. Uh, and uh, you know when I feel like we've, we've had some comments I may move the discussion on because I'd like for us to be able to cover as much of 1st Samuel as we can in uh, these times. If you need to get up to use the bathroom or whatever feel free to do that. There's not a whole lot of bathrooms in the building uh, so we're probably not going to be able to do that during breaks anyway. And again we can keep our concentration you can get up and do what you need to do. 1st Samuel begins where the book of Judges left off. The book of Judges ended with spiritual problems among the leadership of God's people. Particularly those last uh, uh, chapters talking about the problems really even with the Levites and their morality and behavior. And that's exactly the situation we find as 1 Samuel begins. And it's also interesting, you've got a connection with, with the Judges in the sense that the description of Elkanah reminds you a lot of the description of Manoah, Samson's father, in Judges chapter 13. And apparently both Samson and Samuel were lifetime Nazarites. So we're going right from the period of the Judges right into uh, 1 Samuel. Would somebody read 1 Samuel 1, verses 1 to 8? And there was a certain man of Ramathaim, of the mountains of Ephraim. His name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroboam, the son of Elihu, the son of Ohu, the son of Zub, and Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of them was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninah. Peninah had children, but Hannah had no children. <coughs> this man went from the city early to worship the sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also the two sons, Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord. And wherever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was, year by year, but she went up to the house of the Lord, that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Very good. So we focus on this man, Elkanah. Uh, that was a popular name in the Old Testament. It was shared by at least five uh, men. And uh, what tribe did he live among? Ephraim. Ephraim, though we know from 1 Chronicles 6 that he was a Levite. Remember that the Levites had 48 cities, basically four per tribe, so they could be scattered out among the other tribes. And so he was from the region of Ephraim, but he was actually a Levite. He was from the city of Ramathaim Zophim, which is normally shortened in 1 Samuel, thankfully, to Ramah, or Rama if you prefer. So, probably the same city as Arimathea. 
in the New Testament. Now, what was uh, kind of complicated about Alcana's life? He had two wives. The Old Testament did not explicitly condemn polygamy, but you can sure see from the results that it wasn't a very good idea. It seems like every time you see a man with more than one wife in the Old Testament, there were problems. And uh, in this case, you had a rivalry between these two wives. Why? What was the deal between them? One had to Yes, Hannah was barren, Penina had children, and that created complications. It's interesting that Hannah was barren, because that seems like a real tragedy in this story. In Willie, even now, and certainly in the Old Testament, you know, women really wanted to have children. And when they couldn't, that was just such a discouraging thing. And yet what we see is, that we can only really evaluate something when you look at it in the overall purpose and plan of God. There was a lot of good reason. There was a lot of good that was done by Hannah being barren. So sometimes things that we look at as a calamity may prove to be a blessing from God in the long run. So they come every year to where? What city? Shiloh. Why go to Shiloh every year? Where the tabernacle was, so they came there to worship God. And uh, there in, in, in Shiloh, they worship the Lord of hosts. I believe that's the first reference in the Old Testament of the Lord of hosts, but it really talks about his glory, and maybe here even the idea of being his being the Lord of the angelic hosts. He's got so much power at his disposal, so they're worshiping this great God there in Shiloh where the tabernacle was, and who were the officiating priests? Yeah, these two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, who we're going to find out a little later on, were not very good guys. And it's interesting that Alcana continued to worship God despite the fact that in the priest, the leadership for God's people was corrupt. I think it's very helpful to recognize that we can still serve God even when leaders of God's people don't do well. Now this rivalry between Han and Penina would sort of come to a climax when they would go annually up to Shiloh to worship. And what would Elkanah do to kind of try to, to make it up to Hannah that she doesn't have any children? Yeah, he gave her a, a, a extra portions, a double portion of the food of the sacrifice. The peace offerings, the worshiper would eat a part of it. Well, he gave twice as much food to Hannah. That's kind of trying to make it up to her, trying to show her that, well, he really feels she's special, even though she hasn't been able to have any children. So what does Benina do about that? <coughs> Provoked her. Irritated her. Rubbed it in that she has children and Hannah doesn't. She's very cruel in her superiority. Maybe she was jealous of the attention that Elkanah was giving to Hannah, I don't know. But she knew where Hannah's tender spot was, and that's where she liked to strike. And uh, so they had this family drama, this family strife that played out year by year. 
as uh, they are there worshiping the Lord in Shiloh. And uh, as they do that, uh, Elkanah sees, you know, Hannah upset and weeping. Hear this thing that's supposed to be this joyous feast where they worship and honor God. Turns out to be not anything close to that. Probably, you know, I think I'm going to suggest something here. I can tell it's going to be hard for people to know what to do when they come in. What do you think about us doing something that's sort of unorthodox and just bringing us all up and over? That way people that come in have some back seats to sit in. So if you can come up or over, let's just go ahead and do that. And that way we've got a little more space in the back. You're all good. Yeah, just come up and over and that really uh, will help out a lot. It's been a long time. I'm Debbie. Chris. And you are. Thank you for cooperating so well with that. I don't think I've ever had so uh, so much uh, impact uh, by saying that ever before. So uh, that's, that's cool. Thank you. So here we've got Hannah, she's all upset, she won't eat, you know, they're there at the feast, and, you know, she can't have any children, and Benina's really, you know, hurting her with that, and saying cruel things to her, and so it's really discouraging to her, and really, it's kind of like, this is the only thing Hannah can think about. She gets there at the feast. She doesn't have any children to share this with. Benina's, you know, telling her all this. And, she, and it just, it's just overwhelming to her. And it makes you wonder, why did God do that to Hannah? I mean, we should see that God is the one ultimately that gives children. And so if Hannah's barren... It's really because the Lord didn't provide him with children. Now, why would God not do that? Did, what had God told all men to do? Back in Genesis chapter 1 and so forth, 9. Yeah, and he's not giving Hannah the means to do that. She wants to, but she's not able to. And, and so it's kind of ironic that God is putting her in this situation where she can't even fulfill that command. Now, you know, there's so many times in the Bible when God turns <coughs> calamities into blessings. When God takes something that looks like, why would God let this happen? And this is just overwhelmingly horrible, and he makes it something really good. Can you think of some examples of where God brought a great blessing out of some terrible tragedy? Joseph. Joseph, yes, wow, that led him to saving his family, Justin? Jesus' death. Jesus' death, that's a really good example, isn't it? What else? What are other great blessings God brought out of tragedies? Egypt. What? Egypt, they came out the flood. What about uh, other barren women? Can you think of some others? Mary. Mary. 
Well, she wasn't exactly barren, but she, she didn't have a husband at that point, or not a husband she could be with. How about Abraham and Sarah? Abraham and Sarah. Elizabeth, Isaac and Rebecca. Yeah, you've got a lot of those. You've just got many times when God does that. But right now, Hannah is very upset. She can't even eat the meal. And what does Alcana say to try to kind of cheer her up? Yeah, you got me. <laughs> you know, aren't I better to you than, than, than ten sons? Doesn't that sound like a typical man? <laughs> what is he trying to do? What's he trying to do that men always try to do? Fix. Fix the problem. Yeah, absolutely. What do women want men to do? Understand. Understand the problem, yes. So this could be a husbanding 101 in that. But, you know, it doesn't really comfort uh, Hannah. And so, so that's the situation. That's kind of the backdrop for what's going to happen uh, in this story. Do you have thoughts and comments on those first eight verses? Okay. Would somebody read 9 to 20? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost in the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and praying to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. So, Hannah is there in the tabernacle, sometimes actually called the temple. She's greatly distressed, verse 10, weeping bitterly. And what does she do? She prays. And what does she say in her prayer? Yes, if Lord, if you'll give me a son, I will give him to you all the days of his life. I'll just dedicate him to you if you'll give me a son. Now think about this situation. You know, painful experiences in life often lead a believer to make commitments and promises you wouldn't make otherwise. When things go well, we don't tend to remember the Lord. When afflictions become intolerable, that's when we tend to turn to God. Do you think that if she'd have had her son, you know, early in her marriage, that she would have offered this, that she would have offered to give him to the Lord all the days of his life? You know, I kind of doubt it. 
But she got to such a desperate situation that she was willing to commit her son totally to God. And she says that she'd give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And what else? No razor shall be on his head. Won't cut his hair. Wonder why. What does that have to do with it? He wouldn't cut his hair. The Nazarite vow, back in Numbers uh, chapter 6, if I'm not mistaken, and also something we see then in Judges 13 in connection with Samson, normally a Nazarite vow was a special oath that one would take for a limited period of time. And during a certain period of time, you just pledge your life to God. And there were certain kind of special things you did in a Nazarite vow. You didn't cut your hair during the time of the vow. You didn't touch any product of the grape wine or anything like that and you didn't touch a dead body and you just made this commitment to have this special you know consecrated time to God for this period of time however long that is but both Samson and Samuel are lifetime Nazarites it's like a life that just committed to God and so that's what what Hannah is saying She's saying, I'll make him a permanent Nazarite. His life will belong to you if you'll give me a son. Isn't that encouraging? You know, in a way, isn't that exactly what parents always ought to do? Dedicate their children to God. Why if you don't have any children yet? Well, one of these days you probably will. You ought to think of your children as belonging to God and seek to give them to the Lord. Make, make them the Lord's. So, um, what does Eli think when he sees Hannah praying there in the tabernacle? He thinks she's drunk. Why does he think somebody that's praying is drunk? What's she doing? Yeah, she's so intense, she's actually mouthing the words, but she's not saying anything. It kind of makes you wonder. I mean, who's Eli? Yeah, he's like the, the high priest. And this is a pretty hasty, you know, mistake to make. Pretty superficial. Makes you wonder how many people came into the tabernacle drunk. You know, that may tell you something about the spiritual conditions of the time. I mean, you know, wow. Uh, and, and, and he's immediately making this snap judgment just because she's moving her lips without saying anything, she's probably drunk. And, and he accuses her of that and she says, don't consider your maidservant, verse 16, as a worthless woman. That's kind of an interesting thing to say because in chapter 2 we're going to find out that Eli's sons were worthless men. You know, they were uh, what, what he was accusing her of being. And uh, she explains, no, it's not drunkenness. I just poured out my soul to the Lord. And, uh, you know, and Eli says, well, God, may God grant your petition. And praying like that and having Eli's comforting words, she goes home comforted. And she conceives. And she's going to bear a son. God listened to her and answered her prayer. Comments and questions to verse 1. Somebody want to read 21 to 28. Then the male man, Elkanah, went up 
with all his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay the vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned. Then I will bring him, that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Remain until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord confirm his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, with a three-year-old bull and one ephah of flour, and a jug of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. She said, O oh my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. For this boy I pray, and the Lord has given me my petition which I asked of him. So I have also dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. And he worship the Lord. Okay. So, uh, Elkanah is going back up to Shiloh, to the tabernacle, and Hannah doesn't go up. Why does she not go up? Yeah, she's still nursing Samuel. She's not going to go up until he's weaned. And that way when she goes up, she's just going to give him to the Lord. Now, so she does. When she's weaned him, she takes him with her. In verse 24, there's a textual question there. Some of the translations will have she has a three-year-old bull. Uh, some of them say she had three bulls. That's probably better. That is the, the Hebrew text. But at any rate, she's bringing sacrifices. She's bringing this young child to the house of the Lord. She reminds Eli that she'd been praying there. And she gives her son to Eli, to the tabernacle, to the service of God. She'll come back and see him once a year. What do you think about that? God delivered for her, and she prayed, he gave the word she wanted, and she's upholding her part of the promise. It's exactly right. She committed herself to do that. God did what she asked. She's going to fulfill her vow. What's the temptation in that situation? Yeah, to renege. <laughs> you know, now that we have the blessing, it would be so easy to go back on the commitment. Because it's so easy to make a vow in the moment of distress, when you're really upset, and then start paring it down when the pinch is, is off. You know, but she doesn't. She gives Samuel to the service of the tabernacle. She basically terminates parental rights. You know, Eli's going to raise this son as a, as a child committed to the Lord. That's a real act of worship right there. Giving the greatest blessing God ever gave you back to the service of God. I think there is a lesson in that for modern parents. That's exactly what God wants us to do. He wants us to prepare our children to serve God and release them to serve God. There are so many modern parents who selfishly block the dedication of their children to the Lord. You know, if their children want, want to do something that shows a great deal of dedication to God, it's like, well, I don't 
about that. That, that might be a little too much. What if we've, for example, uh, spent three years in Brazil? Uh, there are others who've gone there for longer periods of time. What if your child wanted to do that? Your grandkids were going to be on another continent. Things like that. It's so encouraging to see the attitude of Hannah and the attitude we all ought to have. Really, when God gives us any blessing, whose is it? You know, it's like we try to sort of, you know, commandeer the blessings of God as if they belong to us. But really, every blessing God gives us is His. We're stewards. We take God's blessings to simply employ in His service, but we don't really have claim on them. Great attitude on Hannah's part here. And in some ways, you would think it must have been awfully difficult for her to fulfill this vow. Comments or thoughts on chapter 1? Yeah, Justin. I think it shows the importance of following through with our prayers. Uh, it's really easy to you know, pray for somebody that's going, fixing to go through a surgery, and then they come through that surgery or, or whatever it is. Um, um, you know, almost seems miraculous how sometimes people come through sicknesses or something like that. And then we're so happy about it, but we forget to stop and go to God in prayer and thank Him for answering our prayers. It would seem reasonable to be as, you know, prompt and frequent and intense about the thanks as we were about the request, wouldn't it? But how many of us can say we are? It seems like we have a much better knack for asking than we do for thanking. Good point. Yeah. I do you think in, in Hannah's case, you know, she made a vow in extreme distress, but we do those sorts of things all the time when we just speak, whether it be from distress or excitement. You know, I think of like many times, you know, maybe at a camp you get really emotional. Um, so you say, well, when I go home, these are things I'm going to do. And while you're around other Christians, those sound really good, but it's easy to somewhat forget. Good point. Any of us ever made a commitment to God? What did we commit to when we were baptized? Give Him our life. Yeah. Isn't that a solemn commitment that we're making to the Lord? That we're going to leave off the old man and live for God? Sometimes we throw that one away awfully lightly. I mean, we need to have enough respect for God. We don't make commitments and go back on them. We wouldn't even do that with a fellow human being a lot of times, as badly as we do with the Lord. Good points. Yeah, Seth. Um, one thing that is wonderful about her prayer that we see here is she prays without doubting. She prays giving thanks, knowing that the answer is going to be given to her. Even though, I mean, she prayed, she was in great distress, and then, I mean, he... She doesn't get the answer until many, many months later. But in verse 17, she's praying. She's in this great distress. She's moving her mouth, not speaking. We see. And then, and then it says, so the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad at all. I mean, she knew that God was going to take care of the situation because she prayed for it. Uh, what great faith in prayer. Amen. Great point. It really helps us to pray when we really trust the Lord. It gives us a comfort and strength that we cannot know otherwise. Good thoughts. Thank you for those. Well, 
This is not all she does. She brings him to the Lord, but she's got something to say about this. Then I want you to think, if you had been going to say something right now, you've just dropped your son off as a very young son, and you'll be back next year to see him. What are you saying right about now? Well, would somebody read that? Chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. 